This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Hey there, cat lovers. Welcome to Nine Lives with Dr. Cat. I'm your host, Dr. Catherine Prim, and I'm a small animal veterinarian and crazy cat lover. Today, I have a special guest that we love to talk to, Dr. Lisa Radosta. She is a veterinary behaviorist, which means she is not only a veterinarian like me, but she has taken the extra step to really understand animal behavior. And I wanted to talk with her today about raising cats fostering, adopting, and raising healthy, happy cats. So we'll be right back with Dr. Lisa Radosta after this quick break. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There is no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Nine Lives with Dr. Cat on Pet Life Radio. I have with me Dr. Lisa Radosta. Hi, Lisa. How are you? Excellent. I'm so happy that you are here. In case any of my listeners have not heard you before, can you give us a quick rundown of who you are and how you got where you are? Well, I'm the mom of a 16-year-old. That's my primary job, right? Always. I'm a board-certified veterinary behaviorist. That's a veterinary psychiatrist. And I have a specialty practice in Southeast Florida, where I also teach residents. So they're prepared to take the board exam and will create more veterinary behaviors, we hope. Excellent. And you're also someone that I uh, just admire and use as a resource. So I'm excited that you're here today. And I think that we need to talk about raising cats. And there are lots of, I don't know, subsets of raising cats. I mean, there, um, there are things like how to pick out a cat when you're adopting, how to choose cat if you have choices and so on. So maybe we should start there choosing the cats and what you need to look for or know. Can, can we start there? Yeah, absolutely. So don't choose a cat based on how it looks. Yet, I only adopt adult black cats. So here I am, like not following my own rule. So what I will say is, you know, we have to be, I think, attracted to our pets. We have to think they're cute, right? But what I don't want is for clients to say, well, I had a Russian blue and that was the perfect cat. And so I'm going to get another Russian blue and have the expectation be that that will be a perfect cat too, because that causes a lot of friction because that cat's going to be, you know, their own person. So first, yes, you have in your mind what you want your pet to look like. Of course you do. Right. But also have in your mind criteria for the kind of pet you want to marry, basically, because this is a marriage and 
And I always say to people, you know, you will have your cat longer than most Americans will be married. 20 years, 22 years. That's a long time if you're adopting a kitten. And so we want you to think about what kind of cat you want to live with. Do you want the cat that sits on your lap? You know, not everybody does. I don't. That's not the kind of kitty I like. I like an independent kitty. Do you like the kind of kitty who meows a lot? What kind of kitty do you want to live with? And then take that and what you think is cute, what you what's visually appealing to you, because that will create a strong bond too. Take that to the shelter when you go to get your kitty. And I did that with my own cat, Ted, who was the perfect black cat who started it all, started the black cat craziness that we have. I went down to animal care and control in Gainesville when I was in vet school, and I didn't have any idea of what I wanted the cat to look like. I knew that I had a hole in my heart and that a cat was going to fill that hole like that I was sure of. And so I petted the cats and I took each kitty out and they were kept in cages then. They weren't communal like they are in many shelters now. And so this particular cat, who would be Ted, walked past a spot where I had just seen another cat that I had out spray. And Ted sniffed it and he was like, whatever, I don't really care. And I'm like, that's the one, right? Like that's the one, that's the cat who is so easygoing that he can live with my Rottweilers. He can grow with me as I get through vet school, have a child, move all over the country to do a residency. That's the cat. And he was that cat. He was, he was the Labrador retriever of cats. So we want people to love pets, but I also need you to be objective because this is going to be a long relationship. So my heart cat was a black cat too. <laughs> And I got him when I was in vet school and I wrote about him in my book. So I find that fun that we share that. But okay, so obviously all of my listeners can't go to a shelter where another cat sprays and set up a, a test for their cat to see if it's like Ted. But are there things that my listeners could do or look for when they're in a setting like that? Yeah, there are things you can look for. Keep in mind that shelters are stressful. And when cats are stressed, they often assume that meatloaf position, they're in the back of the cage, just because a cat is stressed in the shelter, that is not a reflection of how your cat will be at home. And so that makes it really hard. One of the things about Ted is he was outgoing, didn't get stressed very easily. So I was able to see the real him. So if you can spend time with the kitty at the shelter in a separate room, like time, I mean, like 30 or 40 minutes, like spend time letting that kitty maybe come out of its shell a bit with just you you'll start to see the personality. If that kitty comes over, wants to get on your lap as you're sitting on the floor, and that's the kind of kitty you want, right? That might be a perfect relationship. So think of that. Think about how easily the kitty startles. I'm not saying don't deliberately scare kitties, but let's say that as you move from the chair to the floor, the chair moves a little and the cat really startles and shrinks off to the corner. That may be a cat who's noise sensitive. If you have a quiet house, great. If you have three kids under the age of four, it might not be right. Or if you have to make a smoothie in a smoothie machine that sounds like a jet engine, which mine does every day, that might scare the living daylights out of that cat. So I want you to really be objective about fears. Give the cat time to come to you. If you're the kind of person who is going to trim your own cat's nails, try to handle the feet. See how the kitty feels about that. And take any shelter situation with a giant grain of salt, because those kitties are really, really stressed. Okay, there's a harder question. How much of what you might see, like noise sensitivity or some per personality trait that you might see, is something that is not 
changeable or affectable with, you know, behavior modification or how much of this and who the cat is, is just who the cat is. Yeah. So these are two different kind of buckets. One bucket is how changeable is behavior. And that's a pretty easy answer in that behavior really has three primary broad inputs genetics, which you cannot change. Now you can change how genes turn off and on epigenetics, right? We can change how those genes express themselves, right? But we don't know enough about the genetics of the calico cat you just adopted at the shelter to be able to even tell you, you know, what to do, right? So there's genetics, epigenetics, there's learning. Being at the shelter is traumatic. Cats are not loners or they would never love us, right? They're social. And so that's traumatic. And so that trauma is there. So we're going to try to change that. And then there's learning life experience. So you can change the trauma somewhat and you can change the life experience, but the genetics are what they are. And cats are, they're fantastic. They have, there's this cool study that looked at the genetics of cats and fear. So you've probably read the study a million times. So basically what they did was they took a friendly Tom, right? And then they took an anxious or fearful um, queen and an easygoing queen. And they mixed up all the kitties, right? To see like if they're raised by an easygoing queen versus one that is anxious, what happens? The, the punchline is that the genetics of the father, paternity, have a major effect on the fearful nature of the kittens. We have no control over the toms roasting, right? You know, roaming the neighborhood, right? So behavior can be changed. We can't change a cat's genetics. So that goes to rule number one of loving something, right? Is accepting it for who it is. So when you take that cat home, you got to be ready. That cat may not be your old black cat, may not be a perfect cat, but that's not why we get animals because we expect them to be perfect. And then the other bucket is, can we measure behavior in the shelter? We don't know anything about that in cats, but in dogs, as you can imagine, because aggression is kind of a big deal when you adopt out dogs at the shelter. So in dogs, there've been loads and loads of studies looking at temperament. And we know that very few things are predictable on a temperament test in the shelter. Really, it's just food aggression and only under certain circumstances. And the reason I'm saying that is because going back to stressful situations, what can I see in this cat in the shelter that I can predict or change later on? It's a big, big question mark. Yeah, cats are not small dogs. We say that a lot. Okay, so so how important is socialization, especially if you are adopting maybe a young kitten or even maybe a too young kitten? Yeah, yeah. So it depends on your goals. Our cat stays home. I don't put him on a harness and take him to the coffee shop with me. So I have really a low bar for him. I just want him to be happy. That's it. So if I had gotten him as a kitten, I probably would not have done any socialization at all because I'm happy for him just to be here. And I don't really care if he interacts with my friends. You know, we're pretty low key down here. But if let's say, let's say I'm a 25 year old and I don't have any kids and I want to take this cat with me everywhere, then I need to socialize my cat. It needs to happen as soon as I get my cat, because the way that we understand socialization right now in kittens is that the socialization period ends somewhere around seven weeks. I suspect that's not true, but that's what we know from research. So that's what I'm going to tell you guys. No one's really 
question that with hard science. So that's what we know from the published studies. So that means as soon as we get our babies, we are already behind with socialization. If you have high expectations, you need to work hard with your baby from the moment that you get your kitten. Now, if we're throwing into the socialization bucket handling, everybody needs that, right? Every kitty needs to know how to get something put in, in their ear, how to get a topical antiparasitic on their, you know, on their back in between their shoulder blades, how to get into a carrier, how to go to the vet. That's not really socialization. That those are functional life skills. And every cat needs those. I agree. Of course I agree. And support that. Going to the vet safely and low stress is really, really important. So, okay, well, let's take a quick break and come back and just talk about a little bit more of trying to ensure a scenario that will lead to happiness on the part of everyone. So we'll be right back. Molly, here's your dinner. (coughs) Zeus, that's not your food. Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your Cat Tree Tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Nine Lives with Dr. Cat on Pet Life Radio. Dr. Lisa Radasta and I are talking about raising cats. Whether you are rescuing or fostering, what can you do to help ensure happiness for everyone in your home? So, Dr. Radasta, I did want to get back to the idea of, I have a lot of clients that foster kittens, and they really want to prepare these kittens to go forth and be happy and a good addition to their new home. Is there any tip you could provide to people that are fostering kittens? Yeah. So I think that our fosters, you know, I say our, the world's experienced fosters usually send forth kittens who know how to be handled. You know, they're very good. I think most of the fosters that I meet that are experienced, they know how to handle kittens in the sense of like physically touching them, picking them up, getting them used to all of those things. What I want to encourage foster parents to do is to think forward. What are all the things that this kitten could be exposed to as a cat in someone else's home. So my home has a dog, a teenager, a loud smoothie machine, hockey games on TV. Like these are the things I have, but can I get exposure to little kids? Can I do that? Can I get exposure to a carrier? Can I bring the kittens into the vet's office? A lot of foster parents or technicians and veterinarians and client service representatives, can we bring them into the veterinarian's office where they'll be handled by other people? So I want you to think about all the different things and write them down if you need to, so that you can expose the kittens to those things. Keep in mind, exposure needs to be at worst neutral. That's the worst case scenario. 
So that means you're always above neutral. That's where the good stuff is, right? So if you see that the kitten is worried, it's very easy because kittens are little. So it's very easy to think, I'll just force it. It's a little, it's a little kitten. Like, I'll just force it. I'm bigger than the kitten. Don't do that because you are basically causing the kitten to have a distrust of people. And that is not the cat I want to send forth into the world. I want the cat to believe that we're listening, we're watching, we get you, we respect your personal space. So you are encouraging, including the veterinary team in handling feet and handling ears and getting the cat to the veterinary office and that kind of thing. Am I understanding that correctly? Absolutely. You know, you know, these statistics better than I do, because you are in the cat world, you know, in the trenches every day. But from what I read last, really, we're missing out on about 75% of the cats who should be seeing us on a regular basis. And I have to right now be full on honest, my cat hates going to the hospital with me. And I'm a test runner, because I want to find cancer and kidney failure and all the things before the things happen. So I run a lot of tests on these pets that live in, in my family. And my husband can't help me pull blood. Okay, so I got a cat who hates the vet. I've fought with the medication issue and the carrier issue to find the right mix. But people are not bringing their cats to us. And cats, frankly, are suffering because of it. We're getting them when they are you know, so severely affected with kidney failure that the prognosis is worse than if we just had caught it in the very beginning. And so it's super important for fosters to be thinking about the life of the cat. Can you get in the carrier? Can you go to the vet? Maybe even the veterinarian would be willing to have the kittens there for the day. You know, technicians need to offload stress and carrying a kitten around the pocket of your jacket, at least for me, is an immediate like stress reliever, having that little kitty right next to you or in your shirt. I don't know if you ever do that, Dr. Prim, but we put them in our shirts, their little heads stick out. Yeah, yeah. So maybe your vet will do that if you're a foster and you don't work at a vet. Well, I, I was at work yesterday and there were no babies there. Um, we, we have a lot of babies on and off and I just had a down moment and I'm like, uh, nobody brought me a baby. Like my team <laughs> will bring their kittens in or their little puppies. And I had a babyless day and it was very sad. <laughs> it is sad. It is sad. One of the, the things I love doing is carrying a little baby, whether it's in my shirt or in my pocket or something. I love it. Yeah. So your advice then would be to, if you're fostering, to expose the cats to things, but also if that is your kitten, even though you say it's not important to you that your cat be well socialized, it's probably a good idea, though, for all of my listeners that are raising cats or adopting cats and kittens to at least do those minimum things, right? Yeah. So minimum things for, and I think, too, I know that when I got Chewy, my current black cat, that and we do set the bar low at our house because we really just want our pets to be happy. We have almost no expectations of them except happy, joyful. And so I knew that regardless of what he came to me with, I'd have the right medication. I could teach him, right? And so if I had gotten him as a kitten, I most certainly would have prepared him for anything I thought could come in my life. One of the big mistakes that I see young people making when they, you know, when they bring their young cats to me is thinking that they won't ever have children, or this cat won't ever see a child. That is a big mistake, because 
We all have kids in our lives, even if they come to visit. So yes, exposure to the things that the cat might be exposed to are really important for all of our kitties. So you mentioned that the shelter is kind of a stressful environment and that it may not really show you who the cat is, but how many of those traits that that you mentioned, like snuggly or vocal, or how many of those traits will show themselves in a shelter environment? Yeah, I wish I knew the answer to that question. We don't have any studies, good studies that look at like, this is the cat's behavior in the shelter that's directly translatable to home. And I think we can all empathize with that because I've certainly been ill-behaved or at least been different when I'm stressed versus when I'm not stressed. And kitties are the same. And that's why I kind of think when you go to the shelter or foster or anywhere, even a breeder where you're adulting, where you are adopting an adult cat, you have to understand you're in it forever. In other words, that cat may not be what you expect. And that's where, you know, going to your primary care veterinarian, as soon as you see that there's a mismatch in expectation, and if your primary care can't help you or, or thinks you'll be better served, the specialist going to see a specialist, because we all want to predict, but anybody who's had a human child understands that is not possible. Okay, so you're in it to win it when you adopt that animal. So if you need, if you see anything that's weird, you go straight to your primary care and let them figure out if it's weird, normal, if you need a referral, et cetera. So I've read some things and I bet my listeners are interested as well. What um, correlation is there really in a coat color or like the reputation that calico cats are spicy or that yellow cats, you know, one thing or another, do you see anything like that? Well, so there was a survey study that was published uh, was it Liz Stello? It was from the UC Davis group survey study, I'm going to say three to five years ago. And at least human beings believe that calicos are more spicy. Like if you survey people who have cats, overwhelmingly, yes, calicos are spicy. However, that's still our assessment. There, um, the black coat gene in cats has been linked to calmer, more easygoing behavior. And that would be reflective in Ted the perfect black cat. But Chewy, my current black cat, is anything but easygoing. He has frustration-induced aggression. He has to take calming care probiotic every day. We have to manage him. So, you know, that is not an absolute predictor. And again, and there's also been some linkage between ginger cats and more aggressive behavior. But at the end of the day, coat color is not enough to predict a cat's behavior. It's one of many, many factors. And it's like when you're dating and you have to think your um, potential significant other is cute. You got to think they're cute, right? I mean, I love the way my cat and dog look. And so their cute little faces just make me smile. And so I think that's part of it too. Yeah, that's part of it. And, you know, it's our shtick to get black cats and we think they're really cute. And so that helps us to have a strong bond, even when Chewy didn't turn out to be exactly what we thought he would be, we have a very strong bond with him. And it's not only because he's cute. It's, it's lots of things, but that doesn't hurt, right? That we love the way that he looks and his fur is so soft and all the things you just love about cats. 
I agree. I support that completely. Well, it has been really fun to talk with you. I know there aren't any cut and dried rules to say how to choose the perfect cat, but I think that you're saying for the humans to manage their expectations and know that they're going to be in this for a really long time. So I want to I want to point that out for sure because we're looking at a 20-year commitment, right? Yeah, if we're lucky. I mean, I'm hoping for 22. Like I'm hoping for for more than 20, but you and I have both seen cats come walking into our practices past 20. I mean, so it's a super long commitment. And I think I really just want people to hear, have a expectation that's realistic. I need, I have a hole in my heart. I need to fill it with a cat. I want love from my cat. I want to love a cat. And that's a pretty easy expectation to fulfill, expecting the cat to be what some other cat was or super friendly with your friends. You know, this is 90 Day Fiance. You watch that show? My mother watches that show. This, that's what this is. We don't know what we're getting and we're either gonna fall in love and make this work or not. And so I want cat pet parents to have that open mind and be ready to fully accept who their cat is. And then if something is dangerous to the cat or to you, if there's something to work on, we got solutions for that, for sure. Okay, so one other more specific thing, I think every now and then I will um, have a client come in with a cat that is obviously a a poor match for like, like, for example, I had an elderly woman come in with a Bengal cat and it was some kind of, I'm not even sure it was really a Bengal. It was some kind of wild F1 cross or something like that. And, and the cat was hanging from her curtains and, and just just a very poor match for this elderly woman. And so do you have any advice about specific breeds of cats or specific types of cats or things that people could expect when they choose a certain cat? Yeah, you know, this is not just cats. I mean, dog people do this as well. People do this. So here's the thing. The thing is that if, that if you read about a breed, sometimes you have to read between the lines. So before you go and get a Bengal or F1 cross, call the veterinarian's office speak to maybe a nurse or the veterinarian themselves and ask about that breed. So there are certain breeds that I see a lot for certain things that I won't bring up, whether it be dog or cat. And a client called me recently and said, I want to get this breed. And I said, I got to tell you, I see that breed all the time for aggression. You just need to know that you need to walk into this with open eyes. So use your veterinarian. Okay. Number two, read between the lines. This is a one, this breed is a one person cat. What that means is that this is a scared breed that bonds with one person and most likely rejects other people, maybe with aggression. That is not the cat you want unless you plan to never have anyone at your house. And then also think about, yes, Bengal cats, like to just bring that up, are amazing. Like, wow, they're amazing. And what makes them amazing? The energy, the intelligence. Okay, look, I'm 53. I don't need any more energy or intelligence in my house. I like slow and dim-witted. That's my kind of pet. So even though that's really sexy to get the cool Bengal with all the energy, do you really have the wherewithal to train that cat and enrich your house to the level it takes for that cat to have a joyful life, which is our bar, right? You, you may not. I certainly don't. So really try to be realistic and try to look away from what is cool 
and look toward, look inward at what you need and what you can do for a pet. Okay. First of all, you're not old. But I, I will say, you know, being um, 52, I have some stuff that I've sort of collected in my life that is sort of precious to me and I don't want it to be torn up. So, I mean, you know, as you, as you get older, I have stuff. So the cat hanging from my draperies might not work super well. And it, it didn't work for her. And my biggest concern was her safety. So that didn't that didn't work out. So so I'm glad um, that you were encouraging people to ask their veterinarian, do a little research. I mean, even if you're adopting a dog, which, oh, my gosh, this is a cat show. But even if you're adopting a dog, ask around, communicate, do a little research. You can find out information to help you have a happily forever after. For sure. Absolutely. Well, it has been really, really good. We're just about out of time. But I think we we covered some important stuff today. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for always highlighting behavior. You know, your pet's not well if they're not emotionally well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And bring your cats to the vet, even if the cat is acting completely healthy. Dr. Radasta and I are here to say it is so important. I'm a tester, too. I like to test things because I don't want to be blindsided by something. So even if your cat is acting completely normal, have a relationship with your vet, have that kind of relationship where you could call up and say, hey, I'm looking at adopting a certain type of cat. And what do you think? Because relationships are really why I do this. I'm sure Dr. Radosta would agree that making the relationships with the pets and the people is super fun. It's what makes our job the best. Well, thank you so much. Thank you again for having me. Also, thank you to the amazing producer, Mark Winter, and to my also amazing audience, go out and have a perfect day. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.